Hey, happy new year, everyone. Yeah, welcome to the very futuristic sounding 2021 and the second season of Creepy Cove Community Church Podcast. Thanks so much for coming back. Everyone at the church is very excited to see you again. If you want to keep in the loop with all I'm doing, sign up for the Peter Laws newsletter by visiting creepycove.com. You'll get a free book in audio edition if you do so. How about that? Finally, you can get much more connected with the community aspect of Creepy Cove by joining the Patreon program at patreon.com forward slash creepy cove. You get loads of member extras and physical digital benefits and all that sort of stuff. But look, the moon is fat and full and the ocean waves are crashing against the cliff and the wind. Can you feel it? It's pushing us, tugging us, guiding us to church. Our church sits in a cold place at the very edge of a windswept cliff. Here, we overlook the notorious community of Creepy Cove, a haunted, mysterious fishing town by the sea. It is a place where every horror movie actually happened. And we have served the spiritual and spooky needs of the cove for centuries. And now, we invite you, our special friend, join us. So come on in, shake off the rain, because the after dark service is about to begin. This is Creepy Cove Community Church. We bid you welcome. Welcome, welcome one and all to Creepy Cove Community Church for a brand new year. Yes, we made it, everybody. We made it through 2020 in one piece. Well, most of us. And I must say that I enjoy the moment of a new calendar year because I believe it is filled with sparkling potential. Although it is true that some of us may look upon this brand new set of 12 months laid before us with great trepidation and existential dread, as if each new year was more like a crumbling house of 12 rooms, rooms which we are compelled to venture through, and within each room of said house there is one after the other of malicious assailants ready to cut our dreams down and putrefy our happiness. Or you may love New Year because it's a chance to learn a new skill, like riding a bicycle perhaps, or climbing a tree with only your legs. That's a name I had in my early twenties. Well, didn't we all? But honestly, whether you look upon this New Year of 2021 with foreboding or frisky excitement, just remember, we're here for you, you know. We're all traveling through that 12-room house together, perhaps with different rooms, but we could still call out to each other and say, hey, watch out for the guillotine in room three. Well, we hope that Creepy Cove Church can continue to be a companion this year, offering encouragement, laughter, and frights that fill your bloomers. Now, as you may be aware, for decades now, January in Creepy Cove is known as the Month of the Brain. And this is the time of year that we like to stretch our minds as well as bodies. Throughout the town, there will be lectures, book signings, and special events to broaden our horizons, including talks and book signings from, for example, romantic novelist Paul Sheldon, whose new book, How to Hobble, is out now, and poet and author of the Necronomicon itself, Abdul Alhazred. Yes, he's such a witty after-dinner speaker, he had me and Brenda in stitches last time. And great news, 
He has promised to run the traditional karaoke night in town again this year. Where do you get your energy, Abdul? <laughs> well, it has also been a long-running tradition to hold a series of public debates as part of the Month of the Brain, and we explore all sorts of issues that affect our world. Who can forget last year's debate when local icons Mr. Frederick Kruger and Michael Myers discussed where the five blades was overkill? It was a most stimulating evening. This year, there will be an extra special debate at the end of the month where Dr. Van Helsing, no less, will be going head to head with local aristocrat and creepy cove philanthropist Count Dracula. Yes, it's a clash of the tight ones. The two gentlemen will be setting aside stake, cross, and fang to tussle in an intellectual battle, and the question for debate is simple. Here it is. Can humans who eat meat really insist vampires are vegetarian? Exactly. It's a thought provoker, isn't it? And I'm delighted to say that Dr. Van Helsing is with us tonight to tell us a little bit more about this most intellectually stimulating evening. Doctor, please could you take to the stage? Oh, yes, indeed, bring your brandy, no problem. <laughs> okay. Now, Doctor, as you take your position, we really appreciate you joining us tonight, particularly because we hear you've not been feeling very well these last few days. We hear you've had an unfortunate bowel infection. Things do go bump in the night. Oh, not often, I hope. Quite often. Oh, yuck. Well, I feel your pain, friend. I am of a certain vintage myself, and I find it personally taxing having to leap out of one's marital bed and rush to the latrine every hour on the hour. The slaughter of the cockerel? The slaughter of the cockerel? Well, I've never heard of toilet trouble described in such vivid terms. Uh, you chaps of the Academy don't beat around the bush, do you? My dear chap, I'm so sorry. Oh, nonsense. Don't apologize. But here's a tip. Doctor, I found the, um, <clears throat> slaughter of my cockerel was greatly diminished after a visit to Dr. Jekyll's pharmacy and milkshake bar in town. It's called the Hideaway, don't you know? You should try it. He gave me some wonderful powdered medicine that has greatly reduced the sense of intimate heat. That, I fear, is the worst of all. Oh, tell me about it. But his medicine worked, and I got a free Calippo. Perhaps if we move on. What are you going to do with me? Oh, I was just going to ask you a few questions about the upcoming debate. You might have asked Oh, Doctor, I, I, I'm terribly sorry, but we're not allowed to smoke in here. I'm afraid you're going to have to put that out. This particular evil is more potent and more addictive than heroin, I assure you. You've tried heroin, Doctor? It's a bad habit, I know, but it helps me to concentrate. Does it now? Well, um, look, I'm sorry, this is awkward, but I, I cannot permit you to smoke. But um, perhaps if I could find something... Uh, something white and cylindrical, I could... Ah, what about this? Look, this, uh, a USB memory stick, a little dongle. It bears the white hue of a classic cigarette. Perhaps you could suckle on that while we chat. It's clean, I assure you. But it's a symbolism that counts. Exactly, that's the spirit, Doctor. There you go. Okay, anyway, as we were saying, you have long taken issue with the werewolves, witches, and vampires of this world, and... My family has fought this corruption for generations. Corruption, you say? Oh, strong words. Could you tell us why you despise them so? The glorification of blood. Uh, yes, that cannot be denied. They do like a little bit of that. But then think about it. Many humans enjoy eating the flesh of animals. 
Sometimes in the bread bun. Is it really? Oh, wait, what's this? Somebody has opened the large front door of the church. The wind is... Oh, a visitor. A shadowy figure has just appeared in the doorway of the church, staring down the aisle. I, I can't quite make it out. It's a silhouette. Perhaps it's that Amazon delivery. I was expecting some blank DVD media. There is an unholy aura in this place. Oh, forgive me. I, I do that when I get a shock. Um, Lord of corruption. Huh? Master of the undead. What? You think it's Hermes? Oh. Count Dracula. Oh, Dobby, you're correct. It is. Well, hello there, Count. Many thanks for dropping by. Would you, would you like to come up on stage? We're literally just chatting about you and your upcoming... Count Dracula. Yes, we've established that. It is the biblical prophecy of Armageddon. Oh, a bit harsh. Dracula, you want to say something to the Doctor? You are an interfering man, Professor. You've offended him, Doctor. Do not meddle. Or you will have to deal with me. Oh, goodness. Dr. Van Helsing, despite being of a spindly and elderly pension gentleman type, has just demonstrated an athletic standard of sprightliness which puts shame in my old heart. He is leaping across the pews with dexterity, and now oh, he's swinging from one of the oak chandeliers and has now dropped in front of the count on sturdy leather shoes, and he is, what's this, he's, he's pulling the USB dongle from his grey lips and tapping symbolic ash on the coattails of the Count's finely tailored dinner jacket. Oh, grievance! A fight is brewing. Please pause. Oh, no. The, Dr. Van Helsing has now pulled out a crucifix, no less, and he is spouting what could be Latin, could be Esperanto, or Welsh, I, I don't know. Um, oh, dear, they're grappling with one another. Boys, boys, please, please. Saves our aggression for the debating chamber. This is the month of the brain, not the brawn. Oh, they're out the door. Ladies and gentlemen, my absolute apologies for this fracas, which seems to have tumbled out onto the cliff edge. And as tempting as it is, I can see, for many of you to go out and watch Dracula and Van Helsing have an epic fist fight on the edge of a windswept ocean cliff under a beautiful moon, I'm afraid I must ask you to resist and remain in your seat, for my final notice is more important than even that historic struggle outside. So please, attention, attention, this is important. Ready? Okay. <clears throat> the Church's Embroidery Club have an urgent request for empty egg boxes. I have no idea why, but I don't understand the textile arts. But the club president, Mr. Leatherface, does, and he was most insistent that I put out this request with haste. So please, search your houses, rifle through your refuse and litter, and if you so desire, please do it with a stranger's house too, but under the cover of darkness, and fetch the empty egg boxes to Mr. Leatherface with haste, for he warns us that if the embroidery group do not receive these craft items in good time, let me read it. A season of great darkness and misery will befall our town like none other. Oh, well, there you go. So, anyway, that's what's happening for now, Lord. Well, that's what's happening, oh Lord. Ooh. Can someone kindly close the main door? It's getting blue in here. <laughs> well, sharing the reading with us today is the lady ghost that lives here at the church. 
Some of you know her already, but uh, if you don't, she was one of the earliest pastors of our congregation way back in the early days, the 17th century, no less. Yes, in a moment, I will introduce to you Reverend Verity Pemberton. She served the church as minister from 1689 to 1692. But sadly, many of the nearby churches at the time disagreed with the idea of having a woman in leadership back then. And so one morning as Verity was reading the Bible to the congregants, members of First Trinity Church from the next town Please, please resist the cat calls. I, I know we've had our struggles with First Trinity, but we try to be kind-hearted. So they do their thing, we do ours. So anyway, it's true. Members of First Trinity Church marched into the church that cold morning wearing big floppy hats and belt buckles that were frankly OTT, and they announced to all and sundry that any female who would dare to take a position of authority must clearly be demonic and dancing with the devil in the woods or some such. There was lots of accusations at the time, but anyway, they sadly hung Reverend Pemberton from the neck. Well, I suppose that's obvious. They're not going to hang anyone from the elbow, are they? But no, they, they did it around the neck. And um, yeah, anyway, they hung her from the third rafter back there, just up there. Yes, have a look up. It's the one just above the coffee machine. And it was an egregious tragedy and one of the many reasons for the historic rift between ourselves and First Trinity, which remains to this day, sadly. But in 1992, 300 years since her death, we were delighted to discover that one cold night, Verity's ghost appeared. And ever since, she occasionally wanders the halls at night, giving out helpful pastoral counsel and providing a listening ear for local businesses. And there leadership quality questions. And only occasionally does she attack congregants through her latent and understandable anger. And so, please, would you train your eye to the beam I have just previously indicated, for Verity will slowly materialize before our very... Oh, look at that. The timing is perfection. She swings there still, but look, she is drifting downwards from the beam with care and grace. She makes her way to the stage. Spectral toes are dragging a line into our polyester carpet, and now she's here, right next to me. Wonderful. She may well bring an icy breeze wherever she walks, but golly, she's warm of heart. Reverend Pemberton, it is a pleasure to see you once again. Please, call me Verity. Of course. Uh, now, Verity, you were reading from scripture just before your cruel execution at the hands of religious hysteria back, back in the day. And so, frankly, I always find it quite moving when you offer to do the very same for us and read from the Bible, but we assure you we will not attack. <laughs> Things have changed, well, for most of us. It's smashing to have you back once again. Tis my pleasure. And yet, before I read from the holy book, May I inquire something of thee, Goody Donk? <laughs> goody Donk. <laughs> I always think that sounds humorous. But please, you must call me Rupert. That I will do. So then, Rupert, pray tell, may I make my inquiry? Go for it. Be there anybody in the congregation tonight who doth hail from First Trinity Church? Um, may I ask why you require this? No reason. Curiosity it is. Just curiosity, is it, okay? I, I take yes. an interest in your numbers is all. Oh, okay. So, are you out there, Trinity? Uh, Be that one of you lurking over there in the shadows? Nope, that's not... 
Trinity, that's my nephew Christopher. He's melting crayons on the radiator. Verity, I'm pretty sure that no members of the church are here tonight, so please, you can proceed. Well, that'd be a shame. But no matter. I have plenty time. Well, we don't really have plenty of time. We need to get on with the service, so chop, chop. <laughs> then I shall begin the reading as planned, which is taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 14. Words that explores the great Christian mystery of the Incarnation. And it reads thus. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Is that it? That's it. This be the Word of God. Thank you. I shall now return to my beam and enjoy the rest of the service. And let me know if we have any new arrivals? Oh, well, Verity, thank you for your help. It's wonderful that you get to hang around in it. I mean, oh, heavens, oh, clumsy of me. I mean, you know, like, um, uh, uh, uh. Tis okay, Rupert. Thank you. Relax. Fare thee well. Fare thee well, too, Verity. Thank you. Okay, then. Then it's now time for us to hand over to our current minister, Peter Laws, who is not a ghost, at least not yet, but <laughs> the night is young. So here comes Peter with his physical body intact, ready to share some thoughts on that helpful little reading from Verity. Peter, it's over to you. Thank you so much, Rupert, and to Verity as well for that wonderful reading, and everyone else who's taken part in the service, particularly you for actually being there and coming to listen. Uh, thank you for um, attending. This may be your first time in Creepy Cove. If it is, you are definitely welcome. Don't feel any sense of discomfort. Well, maybe you will because it's a bit scary, but don't feel like this is a place that's trying to make you anything you're not. So if you believe in all of this sort of stuff, fine. If you totally don't believe in it, that's absolutely fine. The idea, this is uh, basically a place for encouragement, but also for you to discover some interesting, deep, and sometimes not so deep ideas. Well, we've just had Christmas, a time of Santa Claus and Krampus and the image of uh, baby Jesus kind of hanging out in a crib. And it's easy, I think, for us to forget just how like subversive and unexpected this baby Jesus bit is. And I once tried to explain how strange this concept is um, at a carol service that I spoke to many years ago in a place called Chesham in Buckinghamshire in the UK. I wanted to show people how visceral the Christian idea of the Incarnation is, and namely this kind of notion that God took on flesh. And so in the service, I did something that ended up, ended up as a bit of a disaster. I thought I'd tell you about it. Now, you have to remember that this was in the time before video projectors. And so back then, um, I think it was the early 2000s, we were using overhead projectors. Can you remember those? <clears throat> the OHP. A kind of little device with a super bright light in it, which you could project words um, onto a screen. And what I did was to take this OHP and push it really far back from the stage. And then when I switched it on, the whole stage and the whole back wall of the church was completely illuminated. And then I began my talk on the incarnation by pulling out a transparent cassette box from my pocket. Another bit of old tech. And um, I placed this on the OHP. And when I did this, that was when a bunch of people in the crowd started to gasp and some even recoiled in horror. You see, what I'd done is I'd been in the garden earlier that day and I had collected some various insects and beetles and spiders and I caught them alive and I put them inside this transparent cassette box. 
And so when I placed them on the overhead projector, their bodies were suddenly um, magnified and just all across the stage and the back of the church. And the light must have given these little fellas a shock because all of a sudden when I switched it on, they started to scuttle around and crawl all over the place. But obviously in a massive kind of 1950s science fiction movie type way, it looked really scary and disturbing. And of course, there were people in the crowd looking at each other going, what the heck has this got to do with Christmas? Giant insects and everything. And at that point, when people were in doubt, I, I called up some volunteers and I said, can you now tell these insects that it's Christmas? Because we're all having a nice Christmas time, but what about these guys? Tell them. And of course, well, the volunteers attempted this. They said, hello, it's Christmas. <laughs> Obviously no response. Somebody tried another method. They wrote on a piece of paper, it's Christmas. The insects didn't understand that either. Sign language didn't work shouting didn't work. In fact, nothing really worked. And I said in the end, well, the only effective way of communicating with these creatures was if we were one of those creatures ourselves. See what it did there. And then I started talking about the incarnation, the idea that God took on flesh to communicate with us. Boom. I felt pretty chuffed with myself for this stunning display of theatrical rhetoric until I heard a gasp in the crowd. And then I saw some other people starting to cover their mouths in terror. Somebody put their hand up and said, uh, sorry to interrupt, Peter, but um, I think the bulb of the OHP, it's burning your insects to death. I flicked around and sure enough, the hot glow of the bulb in there was cooking these little guys, but not in private, in full public. Everybody could see their dying silhouettes projected in horror across the 30 foot high wall of the back end of the church. And <laughs> I nearly broke my neck, hurtling towards the plug to switch it off. I grabbed the cassette box, gave it a little shake. I'm afraid um, some of them didn't quite make it. Kind of martyred for the cause, I suppose. But somebody took the box off me and took it outside and set the rest of them free. And then I carried on or attempted to with my talk. <laughs> now, needless to say, I decided I'm not going to repeat that illustration again. But the principle of it, the notion of this, I think is still pretty, pretty intriguing. Because it's this idea that Christianity, when you think about it, makes a really crazy and weird claim that God somehow comes to us in the flesh, which is known by this term, the incarnation. And since Christmas has just gone, I thought we might explore this a bit. Again, not so you have to believe it or don't believe it. That's entirely up to you. But I just want you to appreciate how strange it is. Because we like strange stuff here in Creepy Cove. We like stuff that's bizarre. And this, when you think about it, is really bizarre. You get the shock of this concept, uh, incarnation, by simply looking at the word itself. By the way, the word incarnation isn't in the Bible. It's just a Latin word used to describe this concept. Concept, And um, if you look at this section, the word carn, well, where else do you see the word carn? Carnivore, a meat eater. Carnosaur, a meat-eating dinosaur. Chili con carne, chili with meat. The incarnation is basically about God, the creator of the universe, becoming meat flesh, which for some of us can sound a bit gross and not very spiritual either. Like, how do you feel when you go into a butcher's shop and um, when you see the sinewy meat kind of sitting there? By the way, if you're a vegetarian, feel free to skip forward for a minute. My sister has a thing about raw meat. 
She hates to see it. She finds it disconcerting because it is flesh and it is dead flesh at that. Meat is cold. It reminds us of our mortality. And of course, we all know that meat doesn't last forever because flesh is transient. It dies and it goes off. Just keep checking yourself out in the mirror each day and gradually as the decades whiz by, you'll be reminded of this fact. But the idea of this, this incarnation thing is that um, an eternal God character was able to be both fully spiritual, but also fully meat at the same time. It kind of messes with your head. And it's a bit shocking, actually, when you think about it. But this shock was not lost on the people of John's day. John's the guy who wrote that little passage that Rarity read to us. And um, the Greek philosophers and the Jewish religious thinkers of John's time would have had lots of theories about how God could potentially communicate and impact our lives. But none of them said that God, or what they would call, like, say, the word, would take on human flesh. Because flesh just seems, I don't know, a bit worldly a bit basic, a bit too, maybe what, real? Like, how do you feel about your own body? Maybe you're positive about it, maybe you're not. We'll think a little bit more about body image a bit later when the band leads us. But my point is, do you see your body as a spiritual item, as a spiritual thing? Or, however, do you see it as like a, a physical box? And if there is any sort of spirit, then your essence is inside there somewhere. Well, loads of people seem to see it as the latter. I, see, I, I meet loads of people who struggle with this idea of physicality as being a place for spirituality. Um, and, and those people can struggle simply with the idea that Jesus had a genuine physical body. Try this, right? Next time you're at a party or something, or you're with a Christian who starts talking about how much they love Jesus, ask them this question. Just say, um, how many times do you think Jesus had diarrhea in his life? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you might even want to elaborate and, and describe Jesus sitting on some first century toilet, eyes watering, gripping his robes and telling the disciples, you better leave this one for a few minutes. You know, if you say that to some Christians, right, they would be like, oh, don't say that of my Lord. Because it feels a bit wrong, you know, it feels it, it, the reality of the human fleshly state feels wrong to attribute to a spiritual being. We have that reaction for a reason, because we're influenced by our history. For example, the Greeks in John's day, um, they felt that the human body was pretty much evil, like a kind of prison for our souls, so that one day we might ditch it, you know, and get rid of it and fly free as a spirit or something. Um, many of the Christians of uh, John's day, therefore, in the early church, they couldn't handle this idea of Jesus actually taking on this uh, this flesh stuff. And they believed, yes, that the that Jesus was the Son of God and all that, but they refused to believe that he actually came in the flesh. And they started a movement of called the Docetists. I looked into seeing whether or not these are the guys who invented the dance, the do -si do but sadly, I don't think they did. But still, they taught that Jesus' body wasn't an actual human body, that he never felt physical pain or even sorrow. He didn't even properly die on the cross. He just appeared to die. They couldn't handle the idea of him being an actual, actual person. And this idea did not impress John. So he writes this and his other letters to make it clear. He's like, nah, mate, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And the, then the word became flesh. Spiritual people get snobby about the flesh. It's probably why so many Christians get hung up on sex. 
they struggle with this idea of Jesus being a physical person, the idea of him being ill or using the toilet like Dr. Van Helsing was telling us earlier, or the idea of Jesus having dandruff or body odor. And all the normal stuff that you and I do, though obviously your body odor is way worse than mine, but still, a lot of spirituality says that the reality of our bodies is irrelevant or mundane or just not divine enough. Whereas the incarnation comes along and says, slow down. Jesus, the claim is, was able to be fully God and fully physically human at the same time, diarrhea and all. <laughs> what does this mean? Well, I think it means something quite interesting. At least it's interesting to me. It means that the unknowable, baffling, infinite God is suddenly knowable in our terms. That's what this idea is saying. And I think that's very important. You see, people often argue about the topic of, you know, if God exists, and he may not, but if he does, what's he like? Is he like super smitey? Is he obsessed with moral performance and the letter of the biblical law? Is he angry all the time? Well, you get that impression that that's precisely what God is like when you see some Christians on YouTube. I think they tend to think that God incarnated himself as the Pharisees, and so they need to follow their example. Alternatively, there would be some people who would say, well, no, God is kind and, um, and caring, and he is not obsessed with rules, but he is obsessed with loving people, like particularly outcasts and those without power. And those people might say, you know, how can you be so sure that God is like a nice guy after all, you know? Well, the reply would be because that Jesus bloke is not just a religious leader or an interesting teacher. The, 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 the big claim is that it is God in the flesh. So there can be no doubt. So Christianity basically becomes, if you want to know what God's like, get to know this guy and be like that guy and let him help you be like that person and be suspicious of anyone who tells you otherwise. But there's another aspect to the idea of the incarnation, which I want to explore in our meditation time that we're about to go into. I think the incarnation means that we should be kinder to our own bodies. You might have lots of reasons to hate what you look like. I do get that. I sometimes feel that myself occasionally. But some of you maybe feel it every single minute of the day. And it's very hard to shake those feelings it may have come from years and years of being programmed by people around you, by parents or brothers and sisters or culture or simply yourself. Who knows where it's come from? But you may, when you think about a physical body and you think about your own physical body, you may be downhearted. All I want to say is that what I like about the incarnation is that it's saying that our bodies are important, that they matter. And that whatever the shape or the size, there can be a spiritual beauty in the pure physicality of who you are and what you look like. Not just, it's not just about what do you like on the inside. We always say that. And that's great, by the way. It's wonderful. But have you noticed this idea of saying it's, it's what's inside that counts um, is, is, is from the same principle of saying, but because the outside body is not important. What the incarnation suggests is that even our physicality, no matter what it looks like, can transcend the expectations of those around us. And that by that, I do not mean so you can get your body into shape and then you'll achieve your best body and you'll be pleased. That's totally not what I'm saying. I'm saying that there is a spiritual value and beauty in exactly as your body is now. 
think about it, I mean, God is this sort of divine being could have looked at the potential of being a human body, as it were, and said, Ugh, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to lower myself to that. But he seems completely chilled out about it. You know, the idea of coming in the flesh shows, I think, the transcendent nature of the flesh, that there can be something new about it, that we can even look at the human body in a new way. And dare I say it, that you may be able to look at your human body in a new way. And so when I burned alive those insects in front of that entire shocked church, um, that is not something I really ought to do again. But the principle behind that is still remaining true. There is something subversive and shocking about this idea of the incarnation. And I like it. I find it interesting simply because one, as a spiritual type person, it makes me think that a concept so abstract and slippery as the idea of what is God like if God exists is, is suddenly less baffling anymore when you've got um, God in the flesh and you can sit and have dinner with him like John would have and actually go, oh, he's like that. But secondly, also, like what I like about it is um, it's saying, don't be so dismissive of reality and physical things. And that includes your own body. And maybe just be a bit more forgiving and kind to what you look like and who you are. Or as David Cronenberg might have put it, long live the new flesh. We're just going to spend some moments uh, slowing down. Now, if some of you are listening to this service at home, then can you find yourself a chair to sit in? Or lie down, maybe? Or if you're walking or driving, that's okay too. What I want you to do is just become more attentive to this precise moment in your life. Start to notice stuff. Particularly your breathing. Listen to it. Coming in, out. Feel your breathing. Coming in and out. And as you do that, realize where that breath is coming from. Coming in from the universe. It's coming out from your body. Start to notice your own body. Feel yourself in your chair. Sense where your muscles are. If you're moving at the moment, try and notice what's happening with your body. Lift up your hand. at the skin, your fingernails, run one hand across the other, now take the hand and reach up, put your fingers into your hair, if you have hair, touch the back of your neck, 
maybe even lightly scratch yourself just to remind yourself that this flesh stuff is vulnerable. As you do this, try and expand your mind a bit. Don't think that this flesh stuff is not the real you. Don't think of it like you have a soul as your software and your body is the hardware. Don't think of it like your essence is inside you like a ghost inside a machine and this machine is not important or pointless. Instead, think of something radical. Something we see in this incarnation idea that God became flesh. Consider that maybe your body, your personality, your essence, your spirit, if you want to use that word. Think about them all being connected. That there's an integration. An integration that tells you that your flesh is beautiful and good. Not because of any standard it needs to follow, but simply because it is. And that all flesh has potential. And with this in mind, let's pray. Now, when we pray, I suggest you lock your fingers together. Not so you like doing old school prayer mode. I just want you to be able to feel your own body as we do it. So lock your fingers together. Okay. As we spend a moment in the quiet now, in prayer or meditation or whatever we want to call it, we want to admit that for some of us, we have complicated relationships with our own bodies. Sometimes we don't understand them. And uh, why? Our bodies are what they are. And ironically, sometimes we have similar complications in our relationships with what we might call God. Sometimes we don't understand you, or why you are who you are, or how you are, and indeed even if you are. And so we ask that in the coming weeks and months, we would find ways that those things would be become more integrated in our lives that we would find peace in those two relationships with our own bodies, but also the potential of God, if God exists. We pray we would experience those things in a real and tangible way, just like our hands are locked together right now. Amen. Well, okay then. I'm now going to invite the band up and they're going to sing a new horror hymn which is about all that we've been talking about, particularly the idea of our own bodies and uh, embracing them. And the song is called, Long Live the New Flesh. Door open, 
the road calls out my name Says people like me should walk in shame Ask me why I'm happy when I look so lame Loaded my words and I took aim Saying long live, long live The new flesh, long live, long live The new flesh To be my enemy, take your glasses off so you can see my physicality. Laugh it up and cut my tie, but you will never. Thanks everybody so much for coming once again to Creepy Cove Community Church. Do tell your friends, let's get as many people as possible coming along. It's been fantastic to have you back for another season. Remember to stick around for cocktails. And by the way, um, Verity Pemberton, the ghost of the, the hanged ex-pastor, well, she's going to be at the bar after um, giving out some small business advice, if that's helpful. Uh, so to be sure to grab her if you need some help. But uh, other than that, we'll see you again next time. Take care. Thanks for coming. Bye-bye. Hey, Rupert, we're done. Yes. First service back. I thought it went really well. <laughs> yes, it was good. Thank you. And yet... And yet what? You look worried. It's Verity. Verity Pemberton. What about her? She looks to be in a volatile mood. Volatile, does she know? Mm -hmm. um, I fear that if anybody was to ruffle her spectral feathers this night, she would unleash the fury of an unjustly hanged woman. How about we go and give her a Wendigo oh. whiskey chaser drink? That Peter, please, she's a Puritan. She doesn't drink either dream and whiskey. Oh. She's a jug of mead type of gal. Okay, well, let's go check if she's okay. Oh, no! Verity! Don't do it! No!
Uh-oh, something bad happened. Tune in next time to find out what. Um, thanks for listening. Be sure to sign up to the Peter Laws newsletter by visiting creepycove.com. And if you want to get more connected to the Creepy Cove community, then check out our Patreon options at patreon.com forward slash creepycove. I'll see you patrons uh, this week in the Peter Laws podcast, which comes out every week. But for the rest of you, I'll catch you either online somewhere or in some other place or back here in a couple of weeks. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.